Welcome to the TARDIS Tapes. You always do what Ian says. I feel like I wouldn't get along with Ian, so I want to say no. <laughs> the answer is absolutely not. Yeah. Well, the Thals kind of always do what Ian says. Uh, they fight about it for a while. Um, last time we left the Thals, then we were in the midst of a dilemma because the party had just escaped from the Daleks, but they had left their fluid link with the Daleks, and so they can't leave because the, the critical piece of the TARDIS is missing. And so we're going to open this episode and we're going to be immediately concerned with, oh, are we going to be able to uh, get the, the fluid link back? Well, in order to do that, we're going to have to convince this entire society to go to war with this other entire society. And the episode starts off with kind of a philosophical debate, if you can call it that, uh, between Ian and Barbara and the doctor. And Susan kind of jumps in at the end over basically hey can we try can we just make these people go to war for us and ian is of the position no no we can't you can't just make somebody go to war for you because like that's not that's not a reasonable thing and what a question the doctor don't even really contend with that position they just say what do you i don't know you just don't seem to understand we're gonna be stuck here if we don't what are you missing about like i thought you were smart we we will be perfect we will be somewhat inconvenienced yeah. if these people do not go to war and abandon all of their cultural beliefs for the last <laughs> several thousands of years and go to their deaths on our behalf will be yeah. inconvenienced now this is our second time recording on on these episodes as you'll recall uh and last time you actually felt pretty badly about these episodes only when we got to this set because you were so upset about this specific dilemma and how the show handles it how do you feel about it this time the exact same <laughs> yeah i think i've softened I, just a little bit but go on okay so i i'd be interested to see how you you've softened i do know that being 60 years removed from this and also being a you know from a different country we're, we're just going to have different opinions than the writers but at the same time some of the logic in this just it just yeah. doesn't make it doesn't follow in in any way it it really is just complete warmongering yeah totally well so there's I don't, an aspect yeah. of this that i i think you know much like the nazi comparison i want to set it there and then step away from it but kind of have it in, in mind there's sort of this like british explorer myth of oh the intrepid british explorer that's going to sail the seven seas and he's going to you know wind up on these Pacific Islands that nobody's ever mapped before. Nobody white, anyway. Uh, and he's going to get in these these desperate situations, but through guile and cunning, he's going to find a way out of them. And one of the classic, like, uh, treasure island kind of threats is a bunch of, you know, savage natives, right? Again, that mm -hmm. word savage is going to keep on coming up. You kind of can't get around it here. Um, and it's sort of like a classic trope of that kind of thing for him to like learn the ways of the natives and then use that to get what he wants somehow right uh, right and so i think some aspect of that is happening here actually um there is a moment uh before they really get into the debate that i do just want to highlight because I, last time i remember it being one of my favorite moments of the the entire serial uh and i'm gonna just pull that up right now 
I must get that fluid ink back again. I'm afraid my little trick has rather rebounded on me. <laughs> what you might call tempting providence, Jessamine. Well, don't worry about it now, Doctor. It's happened. Yes, well, at least you're not vindictive. Well, I will be if you don't get my name right. Hmm? It's <laughs> Chesterton. Yes. Eh? But I don't know. Eh? <laughs> it's still just I love absolutely that great banter. Um, the thing that sucks is that immediately before this, the doctor is expressing remorse about the fact that, oh, you know, I, I actually, I, I lied to you guys just so I could go and visit that city. And that was like a really messed up thing to do. And it's become as obvious as it ever could be that we're all in a great deal of danger because I did that. So, hey, I'm, I'm kind of sorry. I'm not actually going to say I'm sorry, but I am going to sort of seem bashful about it. Um, and then immediately he gets Ian's name wrong and then like tries to belittle Ian when Ian's like, hey, that's not my name. <laughs> um, then right after that, they say, oh, what are we going to do about it? We need to get the fluid link back. What are we going to do about the situation? And the doctor says, hmm, well, don't worry. I'm really smart. I can come up with an answer to this problem. Let me think about it. Well, if you think about it, we have this ready-made army right here, these dolls. If we, if we could just get them to go to war, then they could go and fight the Daleks, and then we would get our fluid link back. Which is not any... It's what Ian and Barbara were arguing about before the doctor walked in. Like, he's not coming up with any smart idea here. It's just... One, he's not coming up with any smart idea. And two, a lot of Thals are going to die, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're sending them to war. It's just, it's a little, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of, of misery caused by the doctor just being selfish <laughs> and wanting. Yep. He just wanted to go to the city and didn't care about his companions and people have already died. He started a war. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I, mean, I, I didn't even mention that uh, Ian was had got a Charlie horse in the last episode. I mean, that uh -huh. never would have happened if the doctor hadn't died. <laughs> that was real bad for old Ian. For yeah, they all minutes. got like poisoned with radiation for a while, and like only narrowly got some drugs to like cure that. But they're probably still going to have like an increased risk of cancer for the rest of their lives. Yeah, they they all have they all yeah. have cancer because he was lying about the fluid leak. yeah no, there's, there's a lot of ways care. that this went very wrong for them and will even if they get out of this alive somehow still be very wrong for them for the rest of their lives but in the meantime the the thing that made me soften on this a little bit is i had kind of missed the first time i watched this how much ian is resistant to the idea of we need to trick them into going to war for us and the case that he makes which I don't totally buy, but I, at least I think that he probably is earnest in it, is, well, I do actually think it's in their best interest. Because I do actually think that the Daleks are going to, like, basically come and murder them. And the Thals also do seem to think this. Like, as soon as it's actually brought up, almost nobody really questions, like, yeah, the Daleks have all kinds of crazy technology. They're definitely going to find a way to come and kill us. And they're also right. The Daleks are going to find a way to come and kill them in the next, like, yeah. two days. Uh, so... And, like, that makes me soften just a little bit. Uh, there is still, and if you can't ignore it, there's this very clear, like, appeasement is the dominant uh, conception of foreign policy for the people writing this, where there's this idea of, like, oh, well, when you're faced with, like, absolute evil, then there's no chance of peace, because they're just going to find a way to kill you later. So the only thing you can do is go kill them, which 
is kind of the sort of thing that would seem like an absolutely crazy thing to say at any moment other than immediately after World War II. Uh, but we are yeah. immediately after World War II. So that's the thing that's hard to avoid. Um, <laughs> like, that doesn't... that We would not buy that argument now, you and I, as Americans in 2022, if the government tried to tell us, well, we have to go to war with Canada. Because don't you know, those Canadians are going to say things like, don't you know? And also, they're going to come and kill us. <laughs> yeah, it's... I can set aside my my personal feelings on some of the philosophies in here. Mm-hmm. Um, these last three episodes don't make good use of my time. <laughs> well, let's let's get on to to how Ian convinces, and this is really, I think, supposed to be a shining moment for Ian. And I don't oh, think either but, of us bought this. Sorry, go ahead. N- yeah, I want to point out first just how disgusted Barbara was with Ian for even being slightly reasonable. Oh yeah, in this no, whole thing. Totally. <laughs> no, that 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 discussion was. It just felt like it, it felt like somebody's brain was broken, and it might be mine watching it because you're watching them, and Ian is making this argument of like, well, how are we supposed to tell these people they're all supposed to go to war? Like, like. This is supposed to be an entire civilization. We're not going to see this many people on screen. But the normal assumption would be thousands of people would die, at least, in this war. Because we don't want to be stuck on this planet we want to leave. But, like, the four of us would be fine. We just would have to live here forever, and we don't want to do that, so we're going to make them go to war. How can we do that? And Barbara doesn't even say, well, I understand what you're saying, but here's my argument against that. She just says, I don't understand why you don't get it, Ian. We're going to be stuck here. We'll be stuck here forever. We we have to do it. And there's just there's not even any engaging with. Oh, there's a moral question here. It's just, Ian, why don't you understand? I I thought you were smart. Why wouldn't you understand that we'd be stuck here? Like it's it's is, so bizarre. Is Barbara like a sociopath? And not normally. She, she normally, Barbara is the one that says we have to go back and help him. You know, even though we'd be risking our lives, we have to go back and help him because he helped us. Normally, that's Barbara. Which, as soon as the doctor enters the discussion, of course the doctor, we've d- discussed, is always in favor of leaving everyone to die and immediately just leaving and saving himself. That's when fine, because that's his character. Argument, I have no issue with that. Yeah, when Barbara's making this argument, th- the doctor actually pauses for a moment to say, huh, you might be smarter than I gave you credit for, young lady. I, I'm really impressed. You seem to want to leave all these people to die. I Normally, I, I have to make that <laughs> argument. You're evil just like me. Yeah, we could so be that's buddies. all fun. But Ian has a clever plan, and the writers want us to think that this is a really shining moment for Ian. His plan is he's going to go to Aladdin, the leader of the Thals, and he's going to make an argument. And his argument is, well, you have to go and fight them, because they're going to come kill you first. Which Aladdin, <coughs> excuse me, Aladdin doesn't even really dispute that. He just says, yeah, but we're still pacifists. We don't believe in fighting. We think that's wrong. Look at our planet. Our planet is like this because we used to do fighting. We don't do that anymore. And Ian says, okay, well, what if I steal your historical records, your, I believe it was about a million years of historical records, and just go sell it to the Daleks so that maybe they'll give us our fluid link back. And the Thals all seem very upset by this, but they say, well, we're not going to fight you to stop you. You know, we don't want you to do that, but we wouldn't fight you to stop you. And Ian says, hmm. Well, maybe the Daleks are more interested in people. I mean, they seemed like they wanted to torture us for experiments when we were prisoners. 
So why don't I? And he grabs hold of Dione, who is the Thal that is sort of supposed to be Aladdin's love interest, and goes like he's going to drag her to the city by force, and says, what if I sell her to the Daleks? Then maybe they'll give us our fluid link back. And now Aladdin just gets really upset and punches Ian in the face. And Ian says, ah, so there is something you're willing to fight for. And so then that, now we're in the, the, the decision phase where Aladdin realizes, oh, Ian's made a really good point. Has he? I don't even disagree. Well, he, has he made a very good point? No. Has <laughs> he made a completely nonsense point? Also, no. Sure. I don't, even, I don't completely disagree with what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But if a person or a people, you know, want to look at options that aren't violence... It is, I think that it is wrong to say, well, no, but, like, the answer is violence, though. (laughs) That is the clear implication of this serial. Uh, That's that's my issue. It's not even the conclusion they come to, because war might be the right answer, but my issue with everybody is that they're like, oh, there couldn't possibly be another answer. We have to just kill them. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's absolutely what happens, and, I mean... Well, well, we'll get there. Whatever. We're in a war epic now. And on the other side of this war epic, yeah, the episode actually starts with this, but it's a short scene and the, it's not as important as the stuff that happens with the Thals. But the Daleks have gotten a hold of this anti-radiation drug from the Thals. And they have decided to start synthesizing it for themselves because they're really excited. Like, oh, we thought that we couldn't go outside because of all the radiation. We had to stay inside our city, but now we've gotten a hold of their drug. And... There is this kind of... I know the show's not focused on this and it's sci-fi and my background is in, like, chemistry and pharma stuff, but I do just want to pause and acknowledge how incredible the Daleks' chemistry is and how horrible their pharmacology is. They just have no sense of pharmacology whatsoever, and yet they get this little sample of this drug, and within, like, 24 hours, they say, we have not only identified the drug, we have synthesized the drug, and mass-produced the drug, and we are currently dosing our people with it. And the only reason they didn't dose everybody at the same time was because they didn't want to interrupt work. And so they'd started with sectors two and three of the Daleks because they said, well, we can just do them and then send them back to work, and then we can cycle other people in, and that way everybody will keep on working. That's the only reason they didn't just dose every single Dalek with this brand new drug they've never tried before at the same time. So it's not good. Yeah, and it goes as bad as you might expect if you mass synthesize something that you know to be a pharmacologically active compound and dose everybody with it, not even knowing what an effective dose should be or whether it works with your pharmacology. Like, like, you're a different organism. Like, you might it might not work the same for you. It could be toxic for you, and it turns out it is. Uh, But the writers don't think, oh, well, what if the drug is poisonous? What the writers think is, ah, radiation is an essential nutrient for the Daleks. So naturally, the Daleks immediately jumped to this conclusion, too, even though all they did was take a drug they'd never taken before and then get sick. They said, oh, it's probably because we needed the radiation, actually, and not because this is toxic for us somehow. What do Daleks eat? They have artificial sunlight, and there's implication that they make food but we don't really go into the food that much i mean the thing is they had like a whole like cornucopia set up on that table for the thals 
in the trap from the last episode. Yeah. It just seemed to be all kinds of like fruits and vegetables and whatever. I don't know. I don't remember it very well. Uh, it was not the focus of the scene, certainly. Uh, they must have had that stuff already because there's no way that they like developed the tech to make this food after they found out the Thals existed and then decided to lay this trap. They then had to go figure out how to make all this. So they must be eating it somehow. I'm not sure how. There's no, there's no answer that would satisfy me because the thought of Daleks eating fruits and vegetables is mm -hmm. probably weirder to me than if you told me they just ate like meat paste. Yeah, it really does feel like there should be like, like a toothpaste tube that just gets dropped inside that suit. And maybe it's like a, some other nutrient thing that like is in something like a toothpaste tube. But I also think it might just be literally toothpaste that just gets dropped inside there. And then like that little gremlin thing that we only saw the paw of just like grabs it and just like slurps on it for a second and then keeps on doing what he's doing. If they survive on radiation, then maybe they also survive on like fluoride. <laughs> just pure fluoride. Yeah. Just pure, pure fluoride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so, these scenes are split up. I'm kind of combining storylines to make things less confusing. Mm -hmm. The Daleks find that Sectors 2 and 3, which were the only ones that they had dosed yet, those Daleks are starting to get sick. We see a scene of a Dalek spinning in circles and saying, help me, help me, help me. Not exactly clear why he's spinning in circles, because that seems like it would have to do with <laughs> the machinery and not his physiology. But... Whatever. At any rate, they're they're little, you know, like space babies, ugly sure. reptilian space babies inside mm -hmm. of uh, inside of the casing for the Dalek. I'm mm -hmm. thinking maybe he like fell over onto his controls and is like, yeah, shouting, that's got it. it's "Help like me!" That. When he doesn't have motor functions, they're little space frogs. They're all basically Slippy from Star Fox. Like we didn't see their face, but if you saw their face, then they would look like Slippy. I can buy that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so at any rate, they're all getting sick. And the Daleks immediately say, oh, it must be because we actually need radiation to live, and we only just discovered this. Again, absolutely horrible pharmacology. They just have no concept of how an organism works. Uh, and so they, they go to test this. And the way they test this is, they say, well, everybody from Sector 3 is already dead. So why don't we take all the people from Sector 2 and send them into, and I want to know what this chamber is normally for, it is called the Sonic Chamber. And the Sonic Chamber is where they are going to redirect the nuclear reactor vent gas instead of sending it where they, wherever they normally send it. They're going to redirect it through the Sonic Chamber so that all of these Daleks inside the Sonic Chamber are just going to be directly exposed to nuclear waste gas. Maybe they vent it right into the Thal farmlands, and that's the cause <laughs> of this whole issue. <laughs> it does seem likely. I mean, they must be putting it somewhere, right? Uh, maybe they have scrubbers or something, and then they're burying it. I don't know. Uh, they don't seem like they'd be that responsible. But um... they're pro Honestly, the, the, the radiation probably has not dissipated by this point in the future mm -hmm. because they're just renewing it all the time. Yeah. Uh, so what they're going to do is they they dose all of these Daleks with the, the vent gas from the nuclear reactor, and they find that all of the Daleks from Sector 2, who they had done this to, live. I think they had they mentioned there was one serious case and everybody else was fine now. So they say, ah, oh, this proves it. Uh, radiation is an essential, essential nutrient for Daleks. They require it to live. And so then they say, oh, well, we're going to have to build a neutron bomb. 
Uh, and so they they go to like draw up a report for how long it would take to build a neutron bomb. Uh, and by the end of the episode, this is towards the end of the episode, we actually get this. They get a report that the neutron bomb would take them 23 days to build. And they say, ah, oh, well, that's not good enough. We're going to have to come up with something that's faster than 23 days. Which is crazy fast. that they still, 500 years later, the, the Thals got like basically completely reset on technology. The Daleks actually still have the tech to make a neutron bomb. And just didn't have a reason to do it until now incredible uh I, yeah i don't know what to say about that so let's go back to the fall side now the uh the leaders Aladdin, basically are still deciding whether they're going to take up ian on this uh let's go to war with the daleks thing so we get a scene with barbara and a thal named ganatus and i'm just gonna say now they're trying to set up a romance between barbara and ganatus they're not all that subtle about it, so I, I don't know how when you're actually supposed to realize that's what's happening, but what do you think about this romance? Like, is it working? Do you think they actually, like, pull it off? No. <laughs> I don't really have any strong feelings about this. Mm -hmm. If you told me yes, I'd go, okay. <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care about this at sure. all. Sure. <laughs> It's, you know, we're in the Thal camp, and we have, we actually get a little scene of Aladdin and Dione talking to each other, which does have a couple what? lines that you sort of raise your eyebrows at. I don't know if you wanted to bring any of those up, but. I do. Uh, I've got, got, what was it? Wait, are we in episode, the second episode now? Uh, we in the I don't yet? think so. I think this is all still in episode five, which I didn't say at the top, but uh, episode five of the Daleks is called The Expedition. Gotcha. Okay, so my note is actually from the ordeal. Interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll just we'll put a pin in that. I can come back to it. Okay, sure. Uh, I, don't, I don't have examples from the expedition. From the expedition, Aladdin and Dione are talking to each other, and Dione is asking, you know, why is Aladdin so upset? Because Aladdin's still trying to decide. Oh, well, this thing where I punched Ian that really you know challenged my beliefs. Uh, I wish Temesis was still alive so I could ask him whether it's okay for us to go to war again. <laughs> It felt so good to punch. Dione says that if he hadn't punched Ian, she thinks she would have hated him. Which is just a weird line. It's just so weird and specific. Like, if you hadn't punched him, I would have hated you. Even though everybody has agreed up to this point. Ian wasn't actually going to go and sell her into Dalek experimental torture. That was just a rhetorical point. And even Aladdin, when he punched Ian, knew that that was the case. He just got, you know, he got his blood worked up anyway, and he, you know, he ran in and punched him. Uh -huh. Maybe I'm reaching, but I think that the implication is that maybe fewer of them are pacifists than say they are pacifists, and that it's really just like, like they all have the violence within them, and it's just mutual peer pressure that makes them say they're pacifists so like she has that part of her that just really was wanting him to to punch him mm. yeah well and the public opinion of the dolls is really bizarre there's a line from right after this where barbara and ganatus are talking barbara asks you know what do you think uh, your leader's gonna do do you think he's gonna come and help us or not and ganatus says he doesn't know and it's a pair of lines that make me absolutely bewildered by the Thal political system. The first line is, 
we always do what our leader tells us. And the second line is, but he never decides anything without our full approval. So what are, are it, somehow you guys are simultaneously monarchists and Democrats because your public opinion is not a percent thing. It is a monolithic entity. And you all agree at any given time, we're going to do this. And then your leader says, we're going to do that. And he may or may not be elected. That's a, We get some other questions about that later. But it doesn't matter because you all always agree. What is that? I think the only possibility is that they never make decisions. <laughs> so what I think... The only plausible reading, if I actually wanted to imagine this being like a facsimile of real life and not just like a not very well thought through society uh, that, you know, the writers had to come up with quickly, etc. The only explanation I actually have is that they are pretty much monarchical in structure. Like pretty much they have a leader and the leader says what to do. Maybe he gets elected mm -hmm. at some point, but once he's in charge, he's in charge and they all do whatever he tells them to. But they also have a very strong propaganda that nobody even outwardly disagrees with the leader. Right? Maybe it's the kind of thing where the leader takes everyone into consideration and he knows what the public opinion is and he wouldn't ever really choose anything that isn't in line with his people's desires. Yeah, but the problem is like, there's no such thing as a decision that wouldn't, have some people that would say, oh, I really wish we'd gone the other way and might feel very strongly about that, right? I mean, they recently must have made the decision to leave behind their farmland of apparently 500 years and just go hunting for food on the horizon in hopes that maybe they would find something, right? That must yeah. have been controversial. People must have had thoughts about leaving their home of 500 years with no promise that there's anything better out there. Do you think starving to death would have been better than encountering the Daleks? <laughs> well, I guess I mean, they, and, it, and obviously, you know, that's a whole political conversation that yeah. we don't get to see because they're already here. Surely a lot of them would have said, we don't think that we're less likely to starve to death if we just like start wandering out into the desert. Our whole planet got nuked. There's not like animals out there for us to catch. There's a, there's a, the corpse of a magnetic animal that's made of metal. We can't do anything say. with that. Um, but at any rate, uh, we, we, we also get a reference to, and maybe this is the sort of thing they were going to go and try and food, find food from. There's a lake nearby and Ganatus makes a reference to there being monsters in the lake, which eat them. Yeah. Uh, there sure are monsters in that lake. We'll get there. Also, just going to circle back one more time and really rub some, some dirt in the wound. Hey, Doctor, remember when you showed up on this planet and said, there's no way there's anything alive on this entire planet. I have seen 10 square feet of this planet, and I am confident that there is nothing alive, to the point that if one of you claims to have seen something alive, I am assuming that you must have imagined it and you're just crazy. I would also like to point out that he made this comment before knowing there was radiation on the planet. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even know why the trees were all made of rocks. He just, he's just like, oh, well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the lake, and I don't know, I mean, there might be even be something plausible here, I don't know. 
on land, all the animals kind of got killed, but in the lake, it actually seemed to lead to some kind of like massive increase in biodiversity. Well, they do. Um, what is it? They they keep nuclear reactors underwater because for every so many amount of feet, like the output of the radiation is halved, right? Oh yeah, totally. No, I mean water yeah, so, would, would protect you some potentially, and also I don't know. I mean, water is just gonna. Water organisms are different, and they interact with their environment differently. Like there, there would be ways that that could be an interesting premise. Um, that it kind of like reset, you know, if, if like Earth got like nuked to oblivion, that it would reset life to only existing in the water for a while, and there'd have to be a new lungfish before anything came out on land again, right? Like that could be kind of an interesting idea, I think. Yeah, they're hardy animals. Yeah. Uh, now we're gonna we're gonna come to a conclusion on the Thal's decision. They are going to go to war, of course. Uh, that's, you know, it had to happen that way because they had this whole thing where Ian takes a real big chance on trying to convince them. It wouldn't have made sense as a story otherwise. So now we're going to get a speech from Alvin, who's supposed to be the brave leader of the Thal's. And he's going to give a speech about why they're going to go to war after they've had 500 years of telling themselves they will never ever go to war about anything ever again because they ruined their planet that way by going to war with the Daleks, and now they've just discovered the Daleks, and literally within 24 hours, they are going to go to war. Maybe it was 48, I actually, I'm not totally clear on that timeline. At any rate, we get this speech, and it's an okay speech, it's not that great. He kind of says, ah, well, they were probably going to come and kill us anyway, so it's a choice of, you know, whether we just let them come and kill us, or whether we at least try and fight for our existence. Uh, we do have a line from here, which I think is probably the line that is supposed to feel most like a, like a big grand line from a great leader, uh, which I am going to play. My conclusion is this. There is no indignity in being afraid to die, but there is a terrible shame in being afraid to live. It's not much as far as, I mean, if that's supposed to be your, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country... It's not great, you know? People love it when you invert phrases. Yeah, yeah, they, they do they do love that. Um, but Let me throw something out there. Uh-huh. Suppose uh, back in one of the, the previous three episodes we've seen, we had the scene that we had in this episode where the Daleks were uh, kind of determining that maybe they do live by radiation and... Mm-hmm. And all that, and 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 it and it's indicated that they want to kill the Thals. Mm-hmm. Suppose that was brought back in the narrative, and one of the you know uh, humans, the main characters, hears that and is knowledgeable about it. Mm-hmm. Then when we're at the Thal camp, we have a situation where the Thals know for a fact, yeah, that the Daleks are going to eliminate them. Yeah, totally. That I feel like the plot could then proceed as normal. Because... Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the the central problem, the main thing, the main problem you had with these episodes last time we watched it, which I know you you weren't, you didn't want to come out and say, oh, this classic serial that everybody loves about Doctor Who, that is the whole reason Doctor Who still exists uh, and is a thing anybody knows the name of. I don't like it. and But the whole reason was just that that, particular assumption that they're basing all their decisions on this assumption that 
oh, the Daleks are definitely going to come and kill us, and they're definitely going to do it sooner rather than later. So our only choice is to throw everything we have at killing them first. It just it goes completely uninterrogated, it seems like. It's like, why, why are you assuming that? Like, sure, you've seen them, and they seem evil. They also can't leave their city and seem to have a lot of problems of their own. And you could just leave, and you might not have food out there either, but you didn't have food before. Like, you can't... You can't really justify going in and killing them entirely on, well, if we take their stuff, then we'll have something to live on and they'll be dead. Like, that, that's, that's completely not, you it. can't do that. That's completely it. Either we have to have a definitive proof that they mm -hmm. are violent, which mm -hmm. we, the audience, know, but the Thals don't know that, or we have to interrogate the assumption that they might be violent. Yeah, and nobody I, even questions it. Every single character, every, every time somebody brings up well, they are definitely going to find a way out of the city, and they're definitely just going to come and kill all of us. That that's it. That's the that nobody disputes that. Uh, they don't know anything about the Daleks. We're so far in the future at this point that they are frog people. Yeah, they the have a completely games. different physiology now. They live inside yeah. metal suits, which seems to be news to the Thals. It's a completely different culture. Uh, now that we have made a decision, though, now that they're going to go to war, and and. We do get an indication because Alden gives a speech, and in the conclusion of his speech, he says, if none of you support my decision to go to war, I'll understand. And I'm going to go with these guys to help them, you know, just as a party of five, we're going to go and try and sneak into the city and steal this fluid link back. And the rest of you, can I'll, I'll help you guys elect a new chief before I go. Which is at least some indication that they have some kind of democratic structure. But it's not super clear how that works. And also then, immediately everybody from the Thals says, oh, thank goodness, we were going to have to overthrow you or something if you decided that we weren't going to war, because that would have been really dumb. So you're like, so you guys are not that committed to this. It sounds like actually the pacifism thing is not a cultural trait of the Thals. It's a disposition of Aladdin. Sort of, you know, he was raised by Temesis, and Temesis really believes strongly in this. So Aladdin believes this. And the rest of them will kind of, like, parrot it because their dear leader says it. And, you know, we already are suspecting that they're not allowed to disagree publicly with their leader. But they they all were totally confident. Like, no, we should go to war. And, in fact, we're going to have to maybe try and find a way to overthrow Aladdin if he doesn't decide to take us to war. The thing is, like, I did kind of like that. Sure. That, that bit of information softens me a little bit yeah and that even reads uh a little bit more persuasively than the earlier claim of our we never do anything our, until our leader decides that we should do it and also he never does anything until we agree with his decision it like that didn't make any sense and that sort of felt like the writers just didn't want to actually think very much about what the salt the thal society looks like but this idea of well he is sort of this like all-powerful leader but also, he really does have to care about public opinion. Because you know what? Even when you're not in a democracy, you absolutely do have to care about public opinion. And you are constantly doing mm -hmm. things to try and keep the public satisfied because you just understand there's all kinds of ways, even as a king that's not supposed to be able to be overthrown, there's all kinds of ways this can go bad for you if the people really don't like you. And like that, you that I think is actually public. kind of astute. I don't know if that's what they're going for, but at least I, I like it. You know what? I've been really hard on them this episode. Let's give them the credit and say that that is what they were going for. Sure. Uh, so then real quick, they're going to come up with a battle plan. Their battle plan doesn't make any sense either. Their battle plan is, well, the city's right there. There's also this lake that's full of monsters. 
that we know have already killed some of our people. So that's really dangerous. On the other side of the lake, there's a mountain. And we don't know of any way to get through the mountain. But if we found one, then the mountain, that would get us right into the Dalek City. So we need to go to war right now. We'd better, instead of just like going and attacking them, we're going to go th across the lake and then through the mountain to try and find a back way in because they won't be expecting us. That's already a pretty out there plan to say, we're going to war, so let's go spelunking first. But they also split up the Thal forces into two groups. And one group tries to find a way through the back and the other group starts attacking the city right away from the front as a distraction. But you don't know how long it's going to take to get through the mountains because you don't even know if there's a way through. Like, you're just taking a complete shot in the dark to say, ah, if we found a way through, this would be a really good, this would be a, a great way to sneak up on them. So you don't have any way of timing this out. So you're just sending these people out and then saying, well, in the meantime, we're going to attack the front and just see what happens. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense as a military strategy. The doctor signs onto it, who clearly, he's envisioning himself as some kind of like military general in this scenario. But the way he says it, you do get that vibe again of when the doctor is just trying to get somebody to go away. So they're like, oh, we have this plan <laughs> where we're going to try and go around the back. And he says, ah, oh, yes, yes, that's all very... We're going to split up into two groups. And I'm going to lead the forces to attack the front. And you guys can go and do whatever it is you're talking about. It has that kind of vibe to it. Absolutely. Which also doesn't seem like a great military strategy to say, I'm going to take half my people and send them over there because I think they're annoying. <laughs> I love how dismissive he is of everybody. I really do like William Yeah, Harden no, it's, it's great. It's so far removed from what I was thinking the Doctor was going to be as this, like, everyman hero that, like, solves everything in the modern series. It's just so... This dude does not care. It's just so fun <laughs> how much he doesn't care about anyone. And also, it's just obviously a bad person. <laughs> I'm enjoying that a lot. Uh, we're going to have a, a cliffhanger. Because there's always a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is boring. The cliffhanger is one of the guys that goes by the lake gets attacked by a lake monster. Of course. You guys said there was going to be a lake monster. There had to be a lake monster. The lake monster does look really goofy. I don't know if you noticed this, but when they zoom in on the lake monster, you can see a rubber ring inflating underneath the lake monster to make it rise up out of the water. Well, you can just see the thing <laughs> inflating. It's just oh, that's right great. There. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's just right there in frame. It's, it's really goofy. Um... But yeah, one of the one of the that away party, the the go through the lake and mountains party, uh, already got got right at the end of this episode, and him screaming about how he got 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 is the cliffhanger going into the next episode. What did you think? I think I've softened to it a little bit in in our talking about it. Yeah, I was. It sounded like you had. I, I I have I've softened to it. I'm still frustrated by the logic of it, and I think that like a couple of. I th I think that changes could have been made to make almost the same thing work a bit better in my eyes. But, you know, taking it as a product of his time, and also taking into consideration maybe some of the information that happens. There or that is revealed after, the actual arguments are put forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it kind of comes together. Yeah, it's very apparent the writers are working from very different assumptions than you and I are, but oh, yeah. I don't know that it actually feels like as vast a chasm watching it this time as it did the first time, and just thinking, 
you guys are going to war on absolutely no justification whatsoever. I can't understand why this is happening. Uh, yeah. So, we are into episode six, which is called The Ordeal. And I think we're going to go through this episode kind of fast. There is one thing from this episode that I want to talk about that I've already brought up, but you, you didn't know I brought it up. And okay. I, we'll see how long I go on on that. The rest is, is fine. Uh, we zoom in on the guy that died at the end of the previous episode. The water bags that he was supposed to be filling by the lake, they just float up to the surface and we're like, oh, he's dead. Uh, there is kind of an interesting moment of all the characters reacting to this death. Ian comes up to the water and kind of stands there for a minute and looks and then just kind of says somewhat solemnly, there's nothing we can do here. And then just sort of walks Thanks, away. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, he's very, he's, he's, he's always, he's always in action mode. Uh, one of the Thals named Antidus, who is supposed to be Ganatus' brother. Ganatus is the guy who's been kind of romancing Barbara. And I think he's kind of in charge of this away mission, whatever. Mm-hmm. Antidus is his brother. Antidus is very spooked. Antidus was spooked from the outset of this. He was complaining, we've seen monsters in the lake. We don't, we shouldn't be going down there. He is extremely spooked by the fact that this guy just died. He keeps on asking what happened to him, even though it's very obvious what happened to him. Uh, and they say, all right, well, we got to reach the cliffs by, by night. We just got to get out of this lake area before we can do anything. We just have to spend as little time here as possible because there's monsters that are just going to pick us off one by one. Uh, meanwhile, we have the frontal attack being planned. And the Doctor has one clever idea, which is that he realizes there's these cameras that the, the, the Daleks have been using to try and track them. And the Daleks keep on calling them ranger scopes. And so the, he has a few of the Thals get big mirrors. I don't know where they got the mirrors. Get big mirrors and hold them up on hillsides to direct light at the cameras so that the cameras will get knocked out by the bright light. And then while the cameras are out, then they go into the city. That's fun. As an invasion, though, it's not much, because they is three people. It is the Doctor, it is Susan, it is Aladdin. Those are the only ones that went into the city. And the Doctor says that with his superior brain, he's going to disable the Daleks' defenses. He's really excited about this. Uh, there's a moment where he barrels the camera, and he says, Ooh, we're going to show them a thing or two. Hoo-hoo. And he laughs a little bit, and then <laughs> keep on going into the city. It's That's it, he's, fun. He's so thrilled. To be in enemy territory with absolutely no weapon or even really a plan. <laughs> and they do find, and this is a pretty goofy scene. I wonder what you thought about it. They find basically like a like a power panel, like it's like a junction box that has some cables going into it. And he's like, ah, see, this is this is where their static electricity lives. Just gonna pause for a moment. I I love this whole bit. Yeah, they're cables going into a box. Cables. Are conduits for electricity so it can move if it's moving Active electricity <laughs> it is one might say not static but he does say see the fact that it's only one cable going in that means that it's static electricity because it would have to have another cable to return from i know that maybe it's early for you guys to know about this but it's not that early I only have one cable that I plug into, like, my computer when I turn it on, right? I mean, like, lots of devices only have one cable going into them. You can put multiple wires inside that one cable, so, like, you can still have a ground. You can even have, I mean, when I plug in my phone, I think there's, like, eight or twelve or something different channels that go through the phone, and some of them are data, and some of them are power. Like, there's, this is, 
you're from the future. You should understand that, like, it doesn't mean it's static electricity just because you see one plastic, like, outer cord. Whatever. Anyway. Also, is their whole city controlled by this one unguarded, unprotected panel? Well, it can't be the whole city, because even the ground around that floor, like, around around this panel, apparently the Daleks can still walk onto it, because they do get captured right after they do this. So, it seems like it knocked out the, um, the big camera. The big ranger scope that was up at the top that was that they were having to shine lights at. It seems like okay, it knocked okay, that out, right, right. and that's what they're excited yeah. about. They they aren't. He even says we won't know the full extent of the damage, but we've obviously. So his whole plan that he's so self congratulatory about is we're going to short out something on this panel. So he gets, I think it's the key to the TARDIS or something. He gets some metal object, and they they make a connection between that and some other ground. And there's a big electric zap, and they do some film effects. And then all some machines shut down. At which point, Aladdin's already gone. He's already done the doctor thing and been, oh, you know, why don't you go and tell them something because he wants to get rid of him. So it's just the doctor and Susan at this point. And as soon as they do it, Susan says, we better get out of here. I mean, they're going to figure out that we did this. And, you know, they probably have a fault locator or something. And the doctor says, no, 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 don't you see what we've done here? With just a superior brain, we've completely disabled. And then immediately they get caught by Daleks. Um, I love... I love his constant talking about how smart he is. Yeah, it's just this unearned confidence. Just, it's really bizarre. This is the same guy who, I mean, we've we've already pointed out in this episode that he just landed on this planet and decided it was all dead without looking into it. This is the same guy who, like, couldn't even start a fire or do anything Mm -hmm. helpful when he was being trapped in a cave by cavemen. Right at the start of... uh... The last episode, when he was making the argument for, like, well, we're going to take them to war, he was like, well, we'll definitely win, because they'll have me as a general, and I'll be leading them to, to war, and so we'll definitely win. So he clearly thinks he has some great prowess as a military general. I really his, like this as a character trait. His entire plan was, let's get me inside the city, and I can do some sabotage, and that'll probably win it. That's the entire thing. He has no invasion plan. He doesn't have any idea of, okay, you're going to move around here and you're going to flank him. He doesn't have any military tactics. It's just, get me in there and I'll figure it out. No faith in anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's that's where the Doctor and Susan are. They're now prisoner. Uh, Meanwhile, the away party, the Ian and Barbara and Ganatus and Antidus, have made it to the cave like the mountains and they're looking for caves and stuff and so we get another romance scene between ganatus and barbara in which they're in a cave and they're trying to they're like searching through different caves seeing if there's a cave that's going to make it through the mountains which is not a very high percent strategy in my opinion to get to the other side of a mountain to just like start looking for holes and saying well maybe this one goes all the way through uh they usually don't but at any rate that's their current plan and so they go back into this uh this hall and we get back to back my least favorite line that i think this show has had yet just in terms of like being a really bad line like like just poorly written followed by a line that i have not been able to get out of my head for the last week and the i i have them both in a recording so i'm gonna play them both Be a long crawl. Well, we won't use one of the customs of your planet. What's that? Ladies first. Well, I should hope not. 
Play the rope out as I move in, will you? Yes, all right. But be careful. Remember what Ian said. We're not to take any chances. Do you always do what Ian says? No, I don't. <laughs> so, the lady's first line doesn't make any sense. It destroys the... It's distractingly bad. Because... They, this, this is what I was going to point out in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no way he would know that. There, there's, they haven't established that like they've been describing the customs of Earth to these people or anything like that. They've only known them for like 48 hours. There's just absolutely no reason that this should be a thing that happens. And there was no reason they had to write the line. Like It was just like they were out of ideas. They're like, well, is this kind of clever? It's not even clever. Like, if, if they did know about Earth, if this was just like regular Earth people talking like happens in most fiction, then if one of them was like, well, we're not going to use one of your customs of ladies first because this is a dangerous situation, so I should go first. It wouldn't be good banter. It wouldn't be clever, right? It's just words for words' sake. Yeah, so it's really bad. And then they say, okay, well, I'm going to go in. And Barbara says, oh, be careful. Ian says not to take any chances. And he says, and I, I can't match the pitch of it. I have tried. <laughs> do you always do what Ian says? I'm just going to play that one more time. Careful. Remember what Ian said. We're not to take any chances. Do you always do what Ian says? Do you always do what Ian says? Yeah. It's just... uh, So you and I have uh, a friend who does some some voiceover work. And he has some other friends that do some voiceover work. I played the line for him because I couldn't get it out of my head. And he was like, huh. And when he first heard it, he was like, ah, whatever. That's boring. And then the next day he texted me and he just texted, do you always do what Ian says? <laughs> and he also couldn't get it out of his head. He made me clip it out and send it to him so that he could send it to one of his voice actor friends. Uh, he did introduce, and this is a word I think we're probably going to wind up talking more about in the future, uh, the idea of camp. Mm-hmm. I wasn't kidding when I said this is like the only thing in this episode I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, so camp, and we actually spent a while, I think, in one of our first couple episodes, it's been a while since we recorded those now, but we spent a mm-hmm. while talking about the idea of camp, and we both had only known the word camp in the context of, like, a campy TV show, right? Right. Which is, is the only time I had really heard of it before, and in that context, you always hear, like, oh, you know, Firefly and Buffy are campy, you know, Star Trek is pretty campy sometimes, like, a lot of fiction that is really, like, goofy and like kind of low budget in an endearing way people would use the word camp to describe it but that's not really the origin of the term the term primarily has to do with like a different kind of artistic sensibility where like conventional high art tries for like subtlety and beauty whereas camp sort of intentionally goes for these like really vivacious and kind of over the top it's it's like a little bit hard to distinguish from kitschy uh and you'll you will be able to tell if you go and Google it that I am mostly just saying what the Wikipedia article says because I still don't really understand it. Um, but one of the things about camp, and this doesn't relate that much to this scene, I just think it's interesting, is that camp was historically strongly associated with with like homosexual subculture, right? Like the the term is first used to describe stuff that is coming out of like working class gays in Britain in like early 1900s, right? Okay. Um, so, like, a lot of the, like, idea of, like, stereotypically gay fashion sense of it being really, like, bright and vivacious and that kind of thing, like, camp is a word that often would be used to describe that kind of thing. The other association, and this is where the voice thing came up, 
is something like the Mad Hatter uh, from from Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. It's this really over the top, like really, like it's vivacious in like a completely unrealistic unreal- way. Um, like that that kind of tone of voice. So the, if you think of how the Mad Hatter always sort of like that kind of like bouncy, <laughs> that's a good sort of that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Like it, he's doing that a little bit now. In this case. I think he's just flirting with Barbara. I think that's the idea. Like I, do, I don't even know why he's de- delivering the line like that. It's so he sounds like a cartoon animal, you know. So I know Ian and Barbara aren't explicitly together, mm-hmm. right? But I have I have to think of of that line from The Office where uh, Michael is talking to Jan. Mm-hmm. He's like, "You cheated on me." When I specifically <laughs> asked you not to, it's like, well, yeah, Ian, Ian probably asked her not to cheat on him. Do you always do what Ian says? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she responds kind of coldly, as though it's like hinting at something direct. Like if, if she's implying something, I'm not picking it up. Like I don't know, I don't know what she's sort of getting at with that. But there is just like something about that line delivery. I think it might be brilliant. Like, I think this might be what I'm here for. Like, that's why I'm watching this show. It's for these little moments from 1963 where this actor did a thing that I have no idea why he did it. And it, it's all I can think about, <laughs> you know? It's great. Yeah. Uh, he falls in a hole, and he's fine. And he says, well, there's a cave down here. We're here to check out caves. Let's bring the whole party down here. We're going to go check out this cave. All that, whatever. I don't. I don't care that much about it. This is the. This is the spelunking part of the adventure. This is the ordeal, I guess, that we're we're hearing about. Uh, we are going to. When go I back... said that this episode didn't, wh- that these episodes don't make good use of the time. This is a. This is a big uh, offender. Of, there of are about ten minutes week. later on in this episode, where the only thing that happens, basically. It cuts away to one very short Dalek scene and then cuts right back to it. They spent about ten minutes of just the whole, this whole crew down in the in the caves trying to get over a, a, a hole, and they're like leaping over the hole and pe- like throwing a rope back over, and then the next one tries to leap over and it's a whole like that's like half of this episode almost is just them trying to leap over this hole, and it's it's really it's really bizarre. Um, I have to wonder if that kind of thing is 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 also a result of us being so far removed from the audience that would have been originally watching this because you and I care a lot more about the dialogue and the story and we understand that like the sets are really low budget and you know we kind of laugh sometimes but it they're, they're doing what they can with with very little. I don't think it crosses my mind very much that certain things are really supposed to be you know thrilling right yeah so when an episode goes this hard on like physical action but to my modern sensibilities it really just doesn't do it i it doesn't feel like they're making good use of the time well the rope course we're gonna have to talk about the rope course and there's not even that much like We'll come back to the rope course. Let's talk about the doctor really quick. Uh, he and Susan get captured, right? They go down, and they're being interrogated by Daleks, but not really interrogated. They're basically just talking to the Daleks that are standing guard over them. And the Daleks are telling them their plan, which is 
we're gonna we we don't want to wait for this this uh, neutron bomb because that'll take twenty three days. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna vent that gas from our nuclear reactor that we were putting through the sonic chamber before. We're just gonna vent that to the planet, and we're just gonna irradiate the whole planet with our nuclear reactor. Which there might be some math on on rads or something like that that you could do here and say I don't think that works, but whatever. I'm I'm, sure. I'm fine with it. Uh, and the doctor says that's sheer murder. It's kind of a good deliverer, actually. That's sheer murder. I can't do it, you know. But And the dog resp- replies, no, extermination. And I think this is the first time that a Dalek ever says the word extermination or exterminate or anything like that. They really, like, catch the fever for it. They, yeah, they all they're... get very excited at this moment. And they all do a thing that, you know, I said I wanted to just bring it up and then set it aside. But I'm just going to describe what happens next. They all, like, multiple Daleks all kind of get together in a circle, and they all start chanting in unison. But before they start chanting, they all raise their plungers up in the air at an angle, kind of like about 30 degrees up in the air ahead of them. Like, they're all just, they're all just holding it out in front of them and chanting in unison. Uh, And they chant, tomorrow we will be the masters, the masters of Scarrow. And they're all so excited. And I can't set aside the Nazi comparison if you're going to have them all hold their arms up at an angle and chant. Like, I can't. I, I don't well, have a choice. that had to have been... That was deliberate. Of course. I mean, and, and yeah. you know... But at the same time, I think that that's the thing that is most upsetting about this serial is when it's not, ooh, fun, goofy sci-fi that they have this crazy-looking trash can body uh, and they, they're, like, horrible, you know, skeletons inside and they live on radiation. But when it's just... Yeah, we... We still we still think a lot about how evil the Germans were, and th- we're just gonna make an alien race that is just like everything horrible we ever said about the Germans. We're gonna make an alien race like that's when I'm I'm having the least fun, right? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Nazis are bad. Everybody should agree on that. So I don't mind you making fiction in which you are drawing on Nazis for your model of evil. Everybody's gonna probably wind up doing that at some point because they're kind of everybody's conception of pure evil at this point. But. When you just have them all do a Nazi salute and chant about how they're going to exterminate all life on the planet because only one race can live? I don't know. I don't know that we need to be here, you know? It's a bit on the nose. Yeah. Uh, Masters of Scarrow is a cool band name, though. It is. That is a, that is a good, good band name. Uh, so back to the, the rope horse. So they find this chasm in the cave, and I think... The thing that is supposed to be interesting here, and the thing that I bet really did resonate with audiences in 1963, there's this character named Antidus. We've already established that Antidus is absolutely terrified. When they're in the caves, Antidus pulls Ganatus aside. They're sort of at the back of the line as everybody's going through this cave single file. And he says, I can't keep going. I have to go back. I'm just terrified. We're all going to die. And Gantus sort of tries to talk him out of it. And Antidus even tries a couple of, like, slippery rhetorical techniques of, like, well, don't you know, even if we get there, we're just going to get killed by Daleks. We're all going to die. They're all going to die. We should just, you and I should just turn around and go back. And we... Prezu continues to say what? And they... They argue about that a little bit, and then it gets kind of physical, and then there's a very convenient uh, cave-in that blocks the way back, so now they have to keep on going. So you're already supposed to think, like, oh, Antidus is kind of this, like, 
almost traitor is coward. He's talking about, like, defecting and then going back and telling everybody that the whole party got killed by Daleks. So that then they can just, he can just go back to living his life, you know, as though they weren't at war. Um, yeah. You're really not supposed to feel very good about Antidus, but at the same time, this is a role that you will see depicted a lot in World War II fiction. Um, I think it was last year I watched the movie Dunkirk. I think it was directed by Christopher Nolan. You have a lot of characters in that that are this kind of role of like a British soldier who is just so traumatized by everything that is happening that they are doing what are maybe objectively despicable things in order to try and survive. They're like pretending to be sick on a stretcher so that they can, you know, because the sick people are getting onto the boat to leave first. And so they're like mm -hmm. finding a guy that's dead on a stretcher and then like pushing him off the stretcher and then lying on it and pretending to be sick. So that, like, you know, all kinds of like, kind of maybe despicable things and yet i think as you're watching it, you're supposed to really feel like yeah you're right this probably is what i would do too this is such a horrible situation that no human should have to live through and so it is kind it's of like it is sort of a war trope. um and it is like a sort of like almost grimly heroic kind of role of like you know obviously it's not an admirable thing that's happening here and yet it's supposed to feel that much more relatable and human for it and Again, not that far removed from some pretty horrible wars. I bet there were a lot of audience members that could really resonate with that kind of feeling. I mean, it is... World War II is where I'm most used to seeing this trope uh, in World War II fiction. Uh, mm. So, everybody is jumping over this chasm now. There's a chasm. Ian jumps over first, and he doesn't get a rope. Ian's just, you know... He's like, oh, well, somebody has to risk their life. It's obviously going to be me. Then he gets over, and now they're going to toss a rope back and forth. And the idea is they're going to toss a rope back, and Ian's going to hold the other end of the rope... And people are going to jump over the whole, like, with this rope tied around them. And then that's going to, if they miss the jump, Ian's going to pull them up. I think like the only thing that works as tension for the scene is the fact that you are simultaneously thinking, boy, I wouldn't want to jump over that chasm. It seems kind of far. And you're also thinking, I would really like to have a rope around me so that if I did, if something went wrong, I would still be okay. But you're also thinking... I don't know how much good that rope is going to do them if this goes bad. I'm really nervous that somebody is going to fall and then, like, whoever's holding the other end of the rope is just going to get pulled in, too. Like, it doesn't seem like they don't have it tied around. It might actually just end. be better to do it without the rope. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's almost nothing more dangerous than fake PPE. A PPE that doesn't actually protect you is about the most dangerous thing in the world. Uh, because right. you will take risks that you should not be taking. Uh... And sure enough, everybody else makes it over, and Antidus is the last one to go, and Antidus is just absolutely terrified. The first time Ian tries to toss him the rope, he's just staring into the chasm, and it just hits him and falls, because he doesn't even try to catch <laughs> it. Uh, and then, predictably, Antidus is the, the last one going over. He jumps, and our cliffhanger is Antidus almost making it, and then falling into the chasm with this rope tied around him, and Ian desperately trying to hold on on the other side, but he doesn't have any chance of actually pulling him up. And it doesn't make sense, because... Antidus is down in this pit, hanging from this rope, and he shouts, I can't hold on! I can't hold on! You're not holding on to anything! There's a rope tied around you! Like, you literally are not, like, you couldn't lose grip and fall. Because you are not he currently gripping anything. Emotionally, he can't hold on. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, so that's the cliffhanger. What did you think of the ordeal? Uh, I, de I, 
I I thought it was this was not the most exciting episode. <laughs> no. I didn't really have any animosity toward it, but I also, you know, there there's as of recording, you and I have seen what like fifteen episodes of this show because we're, we're we're past keys of Marinus actually. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of episodes where I am just invested, beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. this is not one of those episodes. No, 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 no. Um, I don't. I didn't hate it. But I also, you know, mm-hmm. it, <laughs> that that's my review. I also, eh, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was it was a definite filler episode. It's a it's a real we can't really resolve anything because this isn't the finale kind of episode. I yeah, and, and th- this is part of my issue with this serial in general. Like the Daleks from beginning to end is what seven episodes total. Mm-hmm. It should it it could have been a, like a tight four or five. Well, and I don't know about you. I often kind of like it when you know you'll hear somebody say about a movie like, "I just don't understand." They spent like a full ten movie, meant ten minutes at the start of this movie, just like following this person's routine as they get up in the morning and try and like brush their teeth or whatever, and like it's just baffling that they spent so much time on this i often think that might be kind of interesting because i'm like oh like pausing and spending 10 minutes on a thing that is like normally something you would just assume happened and you wouldn't even show it on screen like often those scenes can be kind of interesting because as an audience you're sitting here thinking why are they showing me this what is the what is the point and often it goes somewhere kind of interesting that you don't expect like it, it's mm-hmm. it keeps you off balance in a way that a normal you know, movie doesn't necessarily, you know, normal action movie is going to skip over everything where anybody is going to the bathroom or reloading their guns or whatever. And right. Even if there's not a function for that kind of scene, strictly plot wise, Mm -hmm. there's it, it informs you about the character or the world in some way. Yeah. And even these scenes in the experience of when I don't know what's going to happen in the scene yet, I'm watching it and and I'm thinking, I wonder what they're getting at. Like, I wonder why this is being shown on screen. And that's kind of an interesting place to be. But the reason it's usually interesting is because they do at least do something with it. There will be an interesting conversation that happens. There will be, uh, you know, an event that happens that you don't necessarily expect. It'll tie into something else in some interesting way. Uh, That just absolutely doesn't happen with this road course scene. It's It's just 10 minutes of everybody being like, boy, that sure is a chasm that I have to jump over. All right, I did it. Yeah, and then it's the last a classic issue of of needing to fill the episode. It doesn't serve any purpose at all narratively mm-hmm. to have that entire sequence. I think we could cut almost all of this episode and just say they made it through the the chasm just mm-hmm. in a sentence, and this serial would be the same. Except, of course, we would be missing. Do you always do what Ian says? Yeah. No, absolutely. No, there there are. Basically, four things that happen in this episode: the party made it through, and get, gets to the gets to the end of the, the chasm. I mean, actually, they don't even. Because the quite... interesting thing is going after the Daleks. Why are Why are we? Yeah, for what? sure. Uh, yeah. The Doctor gets captured. The Daleks announce that they're going to vent their radiation to the atmosphere and kill every living thing on the planet except them. Um, there's actually there's actually a delivery. I, I skipped over this even because I was so distracted by the Nazi salute. But there's a delivery that is just in, incredible where they're saying, well, we're going to vent our, our atmosphere and just irradiate the whole planet. And the Dalek says, or the, the doctor says, nothing could survive that. 
nothing. And he gets really quickly interrupted by a Dalek that has this almost Mayor Quimby kind of delivery. Except for the Daleks! And it's just... <laughs> Like, that's the thing that most excites the Daleks, is the fact that not even just the Thals, who they, we know they hate, but just every living thing on the planet will just be destroyed. And they're just like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. We're all just going to spontaneously chant in unison. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> those are the three things that happen, and then the fourth thing that happens is this line that I still can't get out of my head. Uh, I guess I'll keep you posted, listeners, on when I manage to get this line out of my head. Maybe by next time we record, I, I won't be obsessed with it, but hasn't happened yet. In the If I ask you about it, it will just renew your interest. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. Um, let's wrap up Antidus' story really quick, because I do think that, again, this is probably one of the things that would have resonated the most at the time. And I, I even I want to know what you think of, of it at the end of the day. Start of the next episode... We hear him shout, I can't hold on, I can't hold on again, because they're re re recapping the, the cliffhanger. Pretty literal in this case. Uh, he He's trying to, uh, Ian is trying to pull him up. And Ganatus even comes back and is like desperately trying to get a hold of the rope, but they're both on this tiny ledge, and neither of them can really even get any like leverage or like pull with their full weight. They can't really get another person in here. They're both talking about how their hands are really sweaty and they can't even grip the rope really and the rope is really smooth. This was not well thought out PPE. And they keep on telling Antidus, like, try and, like, get a, a grip on the cliff face or something like that. Try and, like, lift some of this weight off so that we can actually, like, reposition a little bit and, and get you up here. But otherwise, it seems like Ian's going to get pulled in on this too. And then all of a sudden, Ian falls backward. We hear a kind of kind of cheesy scream uh, uh, for a little bit and then a splash and it is revealed that Antidus has pulled out his knife and has cut the rope because he doesn't want to pull Ian in with him so that's the end of Antidus is after after all of the again kind of uh, relatable war just cowardice and that kind of thing he does have this kind of heroic end of he's going to die to save Ian's life yeah, I like that. I I will say that I I think that it would it's always more compelling when a coward survives and has sure. to overcome something. Sure. But at least they gave him the moment and didn't just uh paint him as the coward and then immediately kill him with no growth of any kind. Yeah. I like it a lot so, and like one it. of the reasons I like it a lot is because it immediately leads to the closest this serial ever comes to questioning the biggest thing that we didn't like about it. We now have Ian and Ganatus sitting by the edge of this cliff face. Ganatus has pulled up the rope and he is sitting here looking at this cut rope that his brother just cut to save this stranger's life after this stranger talked them into going to war. Right? And Ian is yeah. still a stranger. They still have only known him for 48 hours. And Ian says, alright, well we better get a move on. We better, you know, it's another one of these, there's nothing we can do here, immediately walk away. And Ganatus says, what's even the point? Which I think is a pretty understandable emotional state yeah, immediately after definitely. your brother just fell in a pit. And you, like, he's going to hear that scream in his dreams for, like, a long time, you know? He says, what's even the point? And Ian says, well, we have to, we have to go and win the, the war against the Daleks. 
He says, well, what's, what's the, I can't come up with a reason to even care about that anymore, is what Ganatus says. And Ian tries to say, and this is, again, I think the most interesting thing maybe the whole serial does, besides that one line that I like a lot. Uh, he tries to say, well, I'll give you a reason. Your brother, for one. Your brother died to give us a chance to go and win this war against the Daleks. It's because of your brother that we have a chance to do this. Which, first of all, is not really true. The brother, like, if Antidus actually had turned around at the moment where he was wanting to turn around, everybody would have made it across the chasm. None of none of them would have fallen, and they still would have gotten through just fine. He didn't actually yeah. offer anything to the war effort other than getting in a huge amount of risk that he didn't want to do in the first place, and then ending his own life rather than let some of that risk spill onto this other person. Um, and Ganatus immediately calls it out, because Ganatus says... Antidus didn't even want to be here. He didn't want to do any of this. He didn't want to come on this expedition. He tried to turn around, and I made him keep coming with us. And now he's dead, because you made us go to war. And I really want Ian to have a, a, a have to answer that. But we're immediately going to just walk away from that and never revisit it. Because what happens is the lantern that they have brought across gets knocked over, and now they don't have a light. And now that they don't have a light, they realize, oh, there's still some light coming from somewhere. And they turn around and they realize that, like, that they move some rocks out of the way. Oh, they're inside the Dalek City now. They, they got their, they're, they're right at their destination now. And we never revisit it. And I, I think it's a fascinating conversation that I wish I had seen more of, but I also even kind of like the idea of leaving it and just never revisiting it, you know? I like the idea of leaving it and never revisiting it maybe just a little cynically because I don't think that they would have oh, done yeah, it totally. justice. So <laughs> I, uh, especially not with Ian. Um, it's like, it, set, it sets up something good and it's just dangling right there. And then they yeah sidestep it. But I also almost like, even if it, if this was their intention to, to raise this kind of question and pre present it to you this way, which I can't totally rule out. I think there's something kind of compelling about just letting it haunt you and never actually, resolving it in any meaning like the show is never going to tell you here's the answer to that question and i even love the fact that they specifically call out one of the most common things that you get from like a hawk in the middle of a war somebody who says we got to go and win this war anybody trying to talk about let's you know have peace or let's not dedicate so much to the war or something they're all cowards one of the most common lines they give is look at all the people that have died already we owe it to them to go and finish this thing Right? Sunk cost fallacy. It's a sunk cost fallacy. And it, in particular, it's this idea of like the thing that should have been a reason not to do it in the first place is now a reason that you can't ever not keep doing it. Because if at the, in the start of this, you had said a lot of your brothers and sisters and children, all kinds of people are just going to die horribly. And a lot of them, before they die, are going to live through the absolutely most horrendous things that they've ever experienced. And all the people that live, even, are going to live through the most horrendous things they've ever experienced. That would have been a pretty powerful reason not to go to war. But you didn't bring it up when, then, because nobody was traumatized yet, because you hadn't gone to war yet. Now that you're in the war, you have these hawks pointing to all that trauma and say, this is why we have to keep on being at war forever. And it works. It's really rhetorically effective. Uh, and I really like presenting this like kind of perfect rebuttal to it in the show and then walking away from it immediately um yeah uh 
yeah no that's 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 what we've got um <laughs> there's a little bit of you know, completely changing changing lanes unless you have something else you want to add to that no i don't think so okay completely changing lanes to another thing that i think is very interesting and is one of the reasons i think i have softened a lot on this serial to the point that i think i like it a lot again uh we have this other pretty interesting sci-fi premise that i don't even think we need to spend that much time on like we can revisit it in the future the doctor is being held prisoner by the daleks and the daleks are saying oh we're gonna vent the reactor it's kind of an elaborate process to vent the reactor so it seems to take them a really long time to do it and in the meantime he's trying to bargain with them and he's pulling every card he has he's normally really good at manipulating people and he's really trying to manipulate these daleks and the card he has is i'm a time traveler i have a time machine if you guys let me live, if you stop what you're doing and you let me live, I can show you my time machine and I can show you how it works. And I can let you, the Daleks, have a TARDIS and know how to build more TARDISes. That is the bargaining chip that he has to try and stop them. Which, maybe we're supposed to read into it and think he would never actually do that and this is just a way to try and slow them down. But I think it's a I really to interesting so. alternate history. Right? Uh I have yeah exactly. I have to assume that he would never do that. But... I don't know. I mean, doesn't this doctor seem like the kind of guy that would sell out the entire universe and all timelines just to like save his own life? On one hand, yes, but on the other hand, selling out the whole universe on all timelines includes his own life. I get it, but otherwise he's dead. So, you know, he's just going to have to figure out how to battle these time and space Daleks, you know, wherever he goes. I guess you, if a person is asking you for a gun so that they can shoot you, Mm -hmm. you don't sell them a gun. But you (laughs) do tell them, I have a gun. It's just Mm -hmm. not here. I'll Mm -hmm. give it to you soon. So, like, the thing... I think that the idea of this is really interesting. And the thing is, like, even if he is planning on on betraying them or something, and, you know, if they were to take him up on this and say, okay, actually, we are going to pause the nuclear reactor plan, and we're going to have you show us your TARDIS, then he's planning on betraying them at some point. Even just telling them about it is already a massive risk. Like, it's clear how desperate he is to even pull this card in the first place, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... That's true. Even even having that information is... Mm Mm-hmm not great absolutely and it doesn't even work like he's normally so good at manipulating people the the daleks just absolutely do not go for it uh because they say oh well that's good to know now we know where it is after we've killed everybody and we can go outside we'll just go and check out your time machine ourselves and then figure it out and he says oh but but you'll never figure it out you know it's 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 got the whole goofy 21 holes lock thing uh and you you know without me to tell you how it works you're never going to figure it out and the Dalek just, like, kind of annoyed replies to him, every problem has a solution. Uh, which kind of makes me want to go and make, like, inspirational poster Dalek memes. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do like the Dalek I don't just being... know how I feel about that when you also have the Nazi comparisons. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, well, I mean, it would, it would have to be a, a pretty uh you know gallows humor kind of thing but uh (laughs) the like in a way that this this sort of shows the daleks being the perfect uh i don't know if if i'm using the term foil right but the perfect villains for the doctor 
because they have the exact same extreme overconfidence entirely based on the idea that they think they're, they're smarter than everybody that they've ever met, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the reason he can't manipulate them like he can manipulate everybody else, because they also just think they're smarter than everyone. So they don't care what he thinks of them, and they aren't going to play his games or whatever, because they're pretty sure they can just figure it out when they get there. Um, we now have the battle for Scaro. Do you have any any comments on the battle for Scaro? What happens beat for beat? What happens run, beat run for through beat? it. The Daleks start a countdown. They start counting down from 100. Um... Mm-hmm for the, the nuclear reactor thing. So we know, oh, we're really almost out of time. Uh, Aladdin has led a, a attack party through the front. So Aladdin winds up kind of meeting up with them in the in the basement of the city. And it seems like this whole go through the back and lose two thals just to environmental hazards before they get in. Didn't really do anything for them. But whatever. Uh, they're all in the city now and they're all going to try and, and get to the control room to stop all this. And the Daleks try and shut down... They, they do like a lockdown with all the doors so all the doors in the city on their level start shutting and they all have to like try and hold some doors open and crawl underneath them and stuff uh, and then they get into the room where the Daleks are and there's a battle where all the Thals are like sort of trying to get around a Dalek or like like climb on it and that kind of thing uh, and a couple Thals get shot I think actually maybe none of them die uh, I think we, they might actually tell us that later. That like, oh, they were all just injured or something. Um, and oh, they shut the down Charlie the reactor. Horse gun. Uh, and as soon as they shut down the reactor, it's worth noting they don't just shut down the reactor like stop it from venting. They shut down the reactor. Like the city doesn't have power now, and we've already established the Daleks need that power to live. So in the last moments, as the power is spinning down, one of the Daleks immediately starts begging the doctor please turn the reactor back on we're gonna die like our our entire race will die our entire species will die if you don't turn the reactor back on uh and i am gonna play that clip listen to me yes stop Even if I wanted to, I don't know how. And that's it. We're never going to see the dogs. Even again. if I wanted to. Even if I wanted to. He honestly, he could have just been polite and said, "I don't know how." Mm-hmm. Didn't have to put in that. Even if I wanted to. I mean, the that's even if I wanted to is a clear indication. I could stop all of these what are now effectively prisoners of war. From dying you know they they already have lost the war and i could stop them from dying but i i just i just want to let them all die so that that would be a war crime now he does have the additional defense of i would commit a war crime but also i actually don't it's not within my power to to help them because i don't know how to make the reactor work so don't get me wrong i would murder this entire species but actually they are they're just dying of due to causes outside my control that's what I'm saying is if if you have the opportunity to just not say you intended to do a war crime, 
Just don't say it. I mean, in terms of tact, sure. <laughs> but also, I mean, it's it's fascinating that this is the Doctor's intention. You can tell from the clip, it's meant to be like the most dramatic moment in the entire thing, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the Dalek really takes his time with delivering the line even, and he gives that... I like the a pretty delivery. fun scream at the end, like a pretty fun, hideous, dying scream. Uh, yeah. His voice keeps on going higher when you think, oh, that's probably as high as it can go. He manages to get just a little bit higher with it. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a little. It's a little weird to see, like, a race be exterminated. Uh huh. I do wonder, just having the foresight of knowing that they obviously come back a lot. I wonder how they come back. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, yeah, and also, I don't think they're gonna. I mean, yeah, they're not gonna unpack having killed all of them no i mean and how could they really i mean like this is not a show that can really deal with like the guilt of genocide i mean they were the ones that went and crafted a situation where they like the writers created a scenario where they had no choice but to genocide this entire species um they are not able to really unpack that much we do get some reactions so let's let's go to the live reacts from the characters um, Aladdin, I think, is the first one to sort of react. And his reaction is, it's finished. The final war. 500 years of destruction end in this. To which the doctor immediately replies, ah, you'll fight another war before. Yeah, don't. You guys are <laughs> fight war <laughs> that's all the time. really funny. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. Which, in this case, on a rare occasion, I'm probably on the doctor's side. Not that I think it's He's right. Thing, but I do think... Yeah, no, these guys are going to find some reason to start killing each, each other any second now. Uh, their political system seems to be built entirely on, like, positive vibes. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that this is actually going to pan out very well. They just got handed a bunch of like crazy, dangerous technology that none of them know how to use. That's definitely going to be destabilizing. Um, Ganatus, who has notably just lost his brother has a very dramatic, if only there'd been some other way. And I want to at least read that as Ganatus feeling bad about having just killed all the Daleks, right? I assume so. I mean, Ganatus, you know, is has his hands are about as clean as anybody on this. He didn't make the decision to go to war. He has no idea how to make a nuclear reactor work or not work, so it's not like he had a, any choice on that part. And he has given up about as much as anybody in this story in order to achieve this outcome, uh, and seemed genuinely conflicted about it a few minutes ago before we got to the big battle scene. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I want to give him that credit. Um, nobody else really pauses too much on that. Uh, the Doctor condescends them a little bit as he's on his way out. They are all saying, oh, well, stay with us now. You know, we've got this this city that we just stole from the people we killed. Uh, and we've got all this food, we've got all this technology we're learning how to use, why don't you help us settle this planet? And the doctor says, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to stick around here. But I might come back and visit your grandchildren, and if they've learned some of this technology, maybe I would live with them. (laughs) Which is just the most condescending thing. Like, I don't like any of you guys, because you just don't have good enough technology, so I think you're dumb. (laughs) Too dumb. But (laughs) maybe your your grandchildren will be smart enough I would hang out with them. Uh, Yeah. We don't That's really, really funny. We don't get much of a a reaction from Ian or Susan. I don't know what I'm expecting Susan to say. I mean, she's a little young to really contend with these themes. 
Uh, we do get Barbara as they're leaving. Uh, they're like about to go inside the TARDIS and, and take off. And she does pause and turn around and she uh, goes and kisses Ganatus. And then she goes back into the TARDIS. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. I don't... I'm not really viewing this as a soap opera. I don't really have my my emotions wrapped up in who's going to wind up with who. Uh. <laughs> I think it, yeah, it t- temporary light romance. Ganatus I, I, I has think... been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a bizarre shot right at the end, and this is the last, the last note I have, actually, before the cliffhanger. Uh, I don't even know what to make of it. It's Dione, the love interest for Aladdin. And she's, like, crouching down... And she's, like, clutching the dirt. And then she kind of looks up, and you sort of, it seems like the gears are turning in her head. Um, for context, this is right after the doctor says, oh, you know, you, you guys are going to be all right. You know, uh, I'm not going to live with you, uh, but maybe I would live with your grandchildren. And by the way, this soil's not so dead as you think. I've been running some tests, and I think you'll be able to, to grow stuff in it just fine. And so she does this crouch down to grab the dirt, and, like, her gears are turning. And I don't know what the intention of this is, because... That you've already established they're farmers. Like, it's not like she's first getting the idea of, like, what if we had a massive agricultural boom and then we could grow all kinds of things? Like, they already know about farming. Also, now they have the Dalek tech for, you know, making food out of thin air. So I don't know what you're getting at with this, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's the equivalent of in the uh, second episode of the series when they grab just dirt and they're like, it's so cold. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 the, the the sand is cold thing it's just i don't know what the intention is behind this it's really weird um first time i watched the serial i did not even realize the cliffhanger was a cliffhanger i thought they had just decided not to do a cliffhanger at the end of this because it had been such a such a heavy serial right mm-hmm. um but it is actually a cliffhanger the cliffhanger is they're in the tardis and it starts to kick off doing its time travel thing like normal it makes the weird noise and then all of a sudden there's kind of a little bit of a boom that doesn't stand out that much from the normal noise, but everybody does fall on the ground. And then, yeah. and then that's the cliffhanger. That could, that could be mistaken for just like taking off, but it's, yeah, no, that, that is exactly what happened to me was I thought they just took off and I was like, huh, wow. They just felt satisfied enough with this as an ending that they didn't think they needed to do a cliffhanger. Um, but no, okay. they, did, they did do a little bit of one. Yeah. I like the next episode. We've already, we're not going to re- watch it again because we've already recorded it, but I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, so we've been re- we've been recording for about an hour and a half, so we'll wrap up soon. Uh, we have to recap the Dalek sum because it's just the biggest, in good and bad ways, the biggest thing, you know? It's a lot. I I think I like the the serial as a whole more than i did the first time we watched it mm-hmm. i still have my issues with it and i definitely do think that after episode four it it takes a pretty sharp dive in quality because mm-hmm. in rewatching it i was i was really on board for chapters er, not chapters uh, episodes one through four yeah um and these ones just i don't think that they were terrible but they really they didn't hold up for me. There's a the really sharp disconnect from it being an exploration story to it being a war epic. And I don't that's know the, that they know how to tell a war epic story. Good way of putting it. 
definitely it, i think uh the writers seemed like they were more comfortable with the doctor stumbling into trouble and getting out of it mm-hmm. than they than they were with like you say yeah absolutely like the most compelling parts of these episodes are the parts that are peripheral to the war um mm-hmm. i mean I, I guess that's not quite right because there are two maybe compelling isn't the word but like certainly the biggest thing we reacted to the first time and even really this time are the initial cause for the war and the the discussion over whether they're going to go to war which is just kind of the most it's the it's the focal point it's the the hinge on which this whole thing swings uh and the ending of it where they decide they they say we aren't going to save any daleks we're just going to have them all die uh we also don't think we know how to save them but even if we did know how to save them we just wouldn't do it um that is those are maybe the two like most obvious things to react to but both of them are also things that i don't know that i think they were especially done well i don't know that they considered all of the aspects of them as fully as they should they were kind of the reasons that the first time we watched this we said we didn't like it yeah i'll say as a as a person who's watching you know reasonably critically reviewing it I'm uh I'm tired of moralizing so much. I want another adventure. <laughs> Just I want to have some, fun. and I know we will because Keys yeah. Keys of Marin. Yeah, no. The next has, thing you uh, and I, the listeners, you know, update you listeners. Next episode, I believe it's called the Edge of Destruction or the next serial. Yeah. Uh, we did re- a recording on that a few months ago, and that we didn't miss any episodes because it's only two episodes. So you're gonna hear that one, which is gonna be a little bit old, and then the, ne- the next thing after that is the next thing we're gonna record, which is the Keys of Marinus. Um, which is just a good time. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Uh, not all of those episodes were are good, I don't think, but I think they'll, they'll it'll be fun to to talk about those. And it, there won't be it's, so much. It's of it's heaviness. not as heavy. Yeah, it's not as heavy, and there's not as much to nitpick. Like as modern viewers, I can mm-hmm. take it more as just a 1960s adventure, which I think is a lot easier for me than having to listen to ian go off with you know maybe politics that i i don't agree with sure or, or have to get into the ethics of killing the entire race of daleks <laughs> yeah or, no know, absolutely all just that. heavy stuff you're and, like yeah. man i do not want to have a conversation with writers from 1963 about the ethics of killing an entire alien race i just don't want to have that conversation uh and this is yeah. what i am indirectly doing is having this conversation with these writers um that's the the biggest reason that I, but, uh, we should. So last time we were recording, I was quoting from the, uh, Amazon, like trivia tips that it brings up when you watch these things on Amazon. Most of the ones this time around, I didn't care that much about. They were all, Oh, the viewers, yeah, there were 11 million viewers for this episode or that kind of thing. Uh, there were a few that were versions of, Hey, did you notice the rubber ring that inflates when the monster pops out of the water? Uh, mm-hmm. there were some of those, like apparently when the, the count on the nuclear reactor gets to around 40 something, you can see part of the set of the TARDIS in the background of the Dalek city. There's just like a spot oh. where you can, if you pause it, you're like, Oh, that's just, that's just the interior of the TARDIS over there. That's just where the other set is. Um, so you have some stuff like that. Uh, but the one that I think is worth actually talking about is Terry Nation. Sorry, oh. what? I thought you were going to bring up the whole Chesserman thing. Oh, no, 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 no. This is this is from the from the trivia thing. Terry Nation, the author of this serial, also the author of Keys of Marinus, which we were, we we're looking forward to. 
his original script did not have this kind of war epic. It was a completely different story. The premise in his original script was that the Daleks and the Thals were going to wind up meeting this third alien race from another planet. And it was going to be revealed that this third alien race was actually the race that had dropped the neutron bombs. And they felt really bad about it now. <laughs> and this was all going to end in, like, peace and also this, like, coming together of these different alien races as they all contend with exactly what they've done to each other 500 years ago. Right? That's so interesting. I think that not having the war epic would have been a good idea. Uh-huh. I don't think that doing that story would have been a good idea. I'm not sure that that story is good. I can't even picture it. I can't even fathom what that would have looked like. Right? That seems like it has no conflict. I mean, granted, we don't have the details, right? So totally, yeah, I don't know exactly how they went up. I mean, but just, you can imagine just the, the Thals and the Daleks being pretty mad at that other alien race. <laughs> The, the the that pitch for that sounds like a resolution like just out of left field like the Star Trek episode of Futurama mm-hmm. where the cloud's mother shows up and just goes you need to wrap this up you know I mean, it feels to me like yeah. you know midway through writing this story whoever was like sitting at the typewriter typing this got clubbed in the back of the head by Mickey Mouse and the rest of it was a Disney picture like, it has that kind of feeling as an ending. Like, sure. Yeah. if it had started as a Disney picture, I don't think there'd be a neutron bomb in this. But if you were already there and then Disney took over, I think you probably would wind up with, oh, and then we realized it was all a misunderstanding and we came together and resolved this HR dispute. Like, you know, I don't... I, I, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure that would have been better. I would be really interested to see what that would have looked like. Maybe this, Maybe that original script is out there or something and we can, you know find out what they had in mind um at any rate i think with that i mean we've we've given i think we've probably given our listeners plenty to think about about this this dalek arc uh, given me plenty to think about i'm still thinking about that line that's great yeah uh any final thoughts on the daleks i'm glad i ended up being glad that we recorded this one twice yeah yeah me too I'm glad gave, you come I, back I think to this it. one was yeah, worth the nuance of of extra discussion, extra time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I I don't think I came out super in favor of this serial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I probably did. You did. No, that's yeah. I I I'm definitely not hating on it as much as I did the last time. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally on board. Sure. But I I think that mostly just comes from it kind of fumbling in the second half yeah no absolutely i mean i think it's even just to its credit that re-watching it not that long after we watched it the first time there was like enough more to consider that i didn't think about the first time like there's still a lot mm-hmm. of lazy writer logic there's still a lot of things that i look at and think i don't think you guys considered this or that aspect very well there's still that time that he says ladies first and i'm i can't i can't forgive there's it there's no excuse for that it's right before the best thing in this whole serial and i still can't forgive it <laughs> Uh, yeah but join us next week in your timeline viewers you know we're we're time travelers so we're actually going to be jumping ahead to the keys of marinus but in your timeline join us next week for the edge of destruction there those those are good episodes you guys will like them (laughs) 
Alright. The TARDIS Tapes is an amateur production by Christian and Drake, released every other Thursday. Give or take. Any character's similarities to real or imagined persons are purely coincidental and unquestionably fair use. Special thanks to Stephen Kelly, an absolutely smashing guy, for help with the theme music. Follow us on Twitter at TARDIS Tapes, or email us at TARDISTAPES at gmail.com. But be nice, please.